what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. We're all originals. You've all made America better, a better place, and you've made it seem a better place in the eyes of the people of the world. I'm Ian Wilder. I'm Fiona Hatch. I'm Sarah Nels. I'm Tyler Katzenberger. And I'm Allison Keeley. You're listening to 1050 Bascom, a podcast brought to you by the UW-Madison Political Science Department. On this episode of 1050 Bascom, we welcome UW-Madison Dean of Students Christina Olstead and UW Police Department Chief Kristen Roman to discuss campus safety resources following a recent high-profile event near campus that put some students on edge. We also take a look at protest guidelines for students, specifically how to protest safely, and what UW officials do to support students who choose to participate in demonstrations. As a content warning, our conversation does touch on a recent sexual assault near campus and may not be suitable for some listeners. Thank you for joining us today, Dean Olstad and Chief Roman. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Pleasure to be here. Before we hop into our discussion today, would you each mind telling folks a little bit about yourself and your position at the university? Sure, I'll kick it off. Uh, my name is Christina Olstead. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I have the privilege and honor of serving as the Dean of Students here at UW-Madison, a position I've held since July of 2019. Uh, I'm Kristen Roman. My uh, pronouns are also she, her, hers. And I am the uh, Chief of Police and Associate Vice Chancellor here at uh, UWPD. I'm uh, closing in on uh, the completion of my seventh year as Chief here, uh, and I've been in the Madison community for uh, in this in this capacity in terms of public service for over 33 years. I was with the City of Madison Police Department for about 27 years before I had the the great opportunity to come back home to the UW. Um, as a as an alumni and a former UW women's volleyball player, uh, it was wonderful to sort of come full circle and uh, come back and be able to serve this community. So, Yeah. On that note, have you been to any games this season? I have not been able to make it to any games yet. I am. My first game actually won't be until the uh, they have an alumni uh, oh. game, alumni Are you night. playing? Where are you I won't playing? be playing, you... but I will be singing the national anthem, which is sort okay. of a thing that started okay. when I uh, was a player uh, decades nice. ago here at the UW. So. Well, in the spirit of just sharing a bit more about myself, um, <laughs> Uh, so I grew up in the Midwest, in actually the, just south of the Twin Cities. Um, started, uh, you know, my major was in social work, kind of fell into student affairs. And what I love about what I do is as a dean of students, I get to do a lot of really, really fun things. I get to orient students to campus. I get to work directly with student government and advocate for the student experience. Um, I get to Wisconsin welcome our students. That's our intentional way of how we uh, introduce students to the Wisconsin community. And then I also get to do very, very hard things on our campus, and some of which we'll talk about today, uh, responding uh, when there's a crisis on campus or uh, providing support uh, when a badger passes away and connecting with family and students and, and providing support. Um, you know, I. Uh, I get to uh, be highly involved in, in supporting students who have been um, victims of crime when they reach out and want support uh, from our office. So um, all of uh, fun things and then hard things too. 
And speaking of the hard things, I think something that's been on a lot of students' mind is at the beginning of the year, there was a assault, or an assault, I should say, near campus. Um, and while it wasn't on campus, you know, there are students that live over in that area. Um, and obviously, I think students were a little bit concerned. How often do events like this happen on or near campus? Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and take that one uh, first. I, you know, relatively speaking, uh, for a city of our size and a campus of our size, you know, when you look uh, across the, the, the country, we are uh, a very safe campus. Now, that doesn't mean we're immune to crime. Uh, and we are nestled within uh, a larger community. Uh, but even the crime rates in Madison, the city, are, are again, they're, they're low. Uh, and so, you know, that, that, that can be reassuring, of course, and I think people want to hear that. Uh, and at the same time, any crime like the one you're pointing to, uh, you know, one is, is too many. And uh, I will say this, the, the nature of this particular uh, attack and this a particular assault is very rare in the city of Madison. And, and again, this didn't occur on campus. Um, but of course, we know sexual assault is a much broader uh, umbrella. And, and that, unfortunately, is something that um, is uh, you know, prevalent and we're not, we're not immune uh, to, to, you know, to needing to attend to those crimes. But the nature of this one was particularly extreme and that puts it in the, in the very rare category. I mean, one of the pieces that we actually uh, encouraged all students over the summer to download, and this is actually um, an app that UWPD created, is the Badger Safe app. Um, and, you know, I personally have it on my phone. I would pull it up uh, for students while they were um, downloading it. I actually asked them to download it in my presence at um, the orientation and kind of walk them through how they can utilize this app as a safety resource. So I don't want to steal all of the Chiefs Thunder because <laughs> this was actually created by the UWPD, um, but is a really uh, you know amazing resource. And I know uh, you probably have the most accurate numbers. Last I heard, over 15,000 people had downloaded the app, but I'm sure it's grown significantly. And we're hoping that each and every person who's listening to this podcast downloads that app um, because it's, it's a great way to get safety information and also maps of um, you know, naloxone boxes on campus and, and things of that nature. Yeah, it really, we're excited about the, the app because it, it's, a, um, it's, a, it's sort of a one-stop one shop in terms of uh, connecting uh, students and others who have the app because a lot of parents are downloading this app because it's also a way for them to stay engaged and plugged in and to receive some of the notifications that that we put out, um, you know, geared toward uh, toward safety. So, it, uh, it a couple of things that stand out for, for folks who aren't familiar with the app. You know, what are some of the, what makes it something that is a tool to promote safety? Uh, because how can an app keep you safe? Um, it it really does. Uh, you know, there's a link there for SafeWalk, which is a, a campus program uh, that's been in place for quite some time that provides uh, you know a peer group of um, walking escorts uh, trained and ready at uh, key times of the, the week and at, at night to walk with students um, as they're traveling to and fro. And so the app is a quick link to, uh, you know, to enlist that uh, escort. Uh, there, there's also 
features on here that allow uh, folks to kind of program in an estimated time of arrival and have a list of contacts that uh, they want to be notified if they don't make it to their destination within a particular time. So those are just a couple of the things that uh, stand out, but there's also a lot of resource information that's contained on that app. So, uh, so, so that's something we're encouraging uh, all of our students to do. But then, you know, there are all of those common sense kinds of things that even as parents, we, we tell our, our, our young adults to be aware of their surroundings, um, to you know, stay together as much as possible, and to make uh, wise choices when it comes to um, you know, who, who they're with and, uh, and choices uh, particularly around alcohol. Because you know, uh, from, a, from a police perspective, there is absolutely uh, a lot of evidence that points to the intersection between alcohol use and, uh, and, and crime and victimization. For mental health resources, maybe, or um, university resources, is if students are feeling um, unsure or unsafe after an event like this happens, um, is there somewhere they can reach out for assistance? Yeah, definitely. Um, so mental health services through the University Health Services um, offers Let's Talk sessions. Those are drop-in counseling, 20-minute appointments um, that are offered either in-person or virtual. So that's a great way to get connected. There's also crisis services for um, students after hours and same day um, to access appointments. So there's individual counseling, there's group counseling, uh, there's Let's Talk. And then we also offer drop-in services at the Dean of Students office. So that's any issue um, Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 4 p.m. There's a form you can fill out. I can share that with you as well. Uh, to get access to a drop-in appointment to meet with a staff member in the Dean of Students office, either virtual or in person, to help you get connected to resources on campus. So in other campus safety news, there always, or at least for the past few years, there's been a decent amount of chatter about free speech and sure. inclusivity on campus. And mm -hmm. um, we've obviously had speakers come to campus that um, have covered controversial topics and sometimes topics that you know, for other students, make, maybe make them feel like they don't belong or just, you know, are perceived as discriminatory um, towards marginalized groups of students. Um, and we've had experts on the podcast before to talk about the legal bounds of free speech and what the university can and can't do in the legal realm. Mm -hmm. But what we're wondering is when students demonstrate against um, speakers like this or when students are, um, you know, exercising their own right to free speech, like, what is the university doing in those situations and how is the university present when tense moments like this happen on campus? Sure, so I'll start and okay. then I'll uh, kick it over to Chief Roman. Um, so as a university, we have the protest support team. So the protest support team is a team of approximately 23 staff members in student affairs and beyond. We have representatives from the Division of Diversity, Equity and Educational Achievement, um, we also have representatives from um, academic schools and colleges, and our role is really for the safe um, and, uh, you know, kind of making sure people are safe and successful in exercising their First Amendment rights to free speech on campus. So we provide protest guidelines. If we know that a student uh, group is coordinating a protest, we'll reach out and be proactive 
share the protest guidelines, the do's and don'ts. I see Chief Roman has one of the protest demonstration cards as well. Um, we do staff events just to make sure they're safe and we'll connect with uh, coordinators, individuals who are organizing. Um, and we have these lanyards that say protest support team. Um, we also have shared updates. Now one of the pieces we receive feedback on, in the past we, would, we called it a protest response team. And we got some feedback about that. Um, and, and really our role is to make sure students are able to express their First Amendment rights. And so we're there to support freedom of expression. We're there to support free speech and we want our students to do it in a safe way. So that's really our goal and um, that's why you'll see us out at protests and, and demonstrations. And we have these uh, lanyards that, um, that display why we're there and who we are. You know, uh, just to follow up on that, you know, the, I think the, the, the key to our success in supporting uh, our students and others who are here to express their First Amendment uh, rights is collaboration. And to the extent that we are able to coordinate in advance, of course, that's the ideal, which is why we really want our students to understand what role we play as a police department, uh, because uh, we too are, are here to protect the, those rights. You know, we're, we're sworn and bound by the Constitution and we take an oath and we take that oath very seriously. And so, uh, you know, we take pride in, in, in really dedicating the awareness, the time and the training to, you know, to support all of those who, who, who want to, uh, to gather to express their First Amendment rights. And so we work very closely with the protest support team. This is something that, you know, to Dean Olstead's credit, uh, has really uh, evolved uh, in her tenure here. Um, I preceded her in terms of arrival here on campus. And this was work when I landed that we were really just starting to, to really focus on. We had begun to hammer out the protest guidelines uh, to, to kind of get that uh, unified approach. Uh, coming from the city I, uh, policing, I can tell you that one of the things of, uh, one of many, but one of the things that's re uh, you know relative to this topic that I really appreciate is the fact that we can have that layered uh, approach to these, where uh, we all have a role, we all have the same goal in mind, uh, and we work together to make sure that uh, uh, those who are out there doing doing this are safe. Um, so we work a lot on communication ahead of time. Uh, to the extent that we can engage people as they're planning to, to, to do some sort of a protest or demonstration, that really is to everybody's benefit because we can be intentional and thoughtful and very deliberate about uh, things that we might put in place to, to best support that and facilitate that safely. Uh, the ones that erupt spontaneously, and I think you know, some of what you're talking about, whether it's planned or unplanned, you know, your question about how do we respond when things get a bit heated. Uh, you know, we do have that layered approach. And so because we have these conversations ahead of time, and we do a lot of debriefing after we have these uh, gatherings on campus to kind of review and see what went well, what might we have done better, what was missing, what might, who might we need to engage to, in the future to make this more successful. So we're constantly doing those kinds of evaluations. Um, but our approach in a heated situation uh, is is of course really to to do what we can to do, to, 
to diffuse that. Mm -hmm. And so that means we'll typically have somebody who's with the protest support team who's not necessarily in uniform uh, start those conversations and try to engage the parties involved and see if we can redirect the behavior in some way, create more distance between the opposing viewpoints, provide a dedicated space where you know both voices uh, can be heard. And, uh, and we work closely with the, the Dean of Students Office and the uh, protest support team to, to do those things. One thing I would like to share as well is that, so the chief and I co-chaired the protest administrative review team, and that's a team of students, faculty, staff that meet um, each semester. This semester we had our kickoff meeting uh, in September where we provided all of the updates. Um, actually, maybe it doesn't matter when it was. I think it was last, was it last week? Mm -hmm. A couple weeks ago. It was two weeks ago. Yeah. It was one of the weeks. Um, so we had the protest administrative review team where we went over all the changes, the training for the protest support team, um, and uh, also talked about protest activity up to that date. We'll also do a review in December for that same group of students, faculty, staff. This is a shared governance group. so. Um, individuals from ASM are appointed to be a part of the protest administrative review team so we make sure we have student perspectives at the table as well yeah so it sounds like you guys are really going back with um, you know with notes and getting feedback on your response pretty regularly then mm -hmm. absolutely yeah. yeah we do reviews at least uh, at the end of each semester and one of the things that we do at the UWPD with these events, but also other uh, events that uh, have the potential for some significant impact, is we have uh, an established group because we have, um, you know, we coordinate all of our emergency management response across campus. And so a, a part of that involves uh, an incident review group that looks at other campuses uh, where these types of, of situations are also being facilitated and navigated and uh, to the extent that there might be some lessons learned based on how other campuses are approaching these same challenges uh, we we do look uh, to those uh, situations and do our own review and engage uh, who we need to to be a part of those reviews in order to make sure that we're not missing anything and so what can students do and not do when engaging in a protest or a demonstration on campus? Well, I have this handy card. Uh, we, we, you know, we put this together a couple years ago, um, and I don't know if there's a way for you to somehow get this or take a picture of it or something, but we hand these out. Uh, you know, we get stacks of them, and my team and uh, Dean Olstead's team uh, get to you know, distribute these on the day of. So I'm just going to sort of point to a couple of the parameters here that we have. It's very clearly laid out uh, on this card, but also in the protest guidelines. You know, what are some of the things that they can and can't do? So obviously, uh, they're there. Uh, what's allowable is, is for those to exercise their right to peacefully assemble, um, to voice uh, opinions while respecting the rights of others, and to engage in thoughtful and constructive discourse. Uh, the things that, that we, uh, we don't want to see uh, is, of course, any uh, physical violence or threats of violence. Uh, we don't want damage to property if, if you know, we, we work very hard to try to prevent that 
and also um, blocking entrances uh, or passage on sidewalks or you know other areas is is also something that we work on the ground to to make sure that 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 doesn't happen. Um, you know when we're talking about what crosses over into an unlawful protest, uh, you know there again if we're if we have some intentional blocking and obstructing, um, if there's um, intruding on a private office space on campus, you know, invading somebody's office uh, is, is crossing over into unlawful. Uh, being disruptive outside of classrooms or other occupied spaces uh, is, an, is another, uh, another area that treads into some of that unlawful um, territory. Signs, we can regulate signs uh, and, and signage as well. That's something that we do a lot of work with our students as they're planning to let them know what's allowed and what's not allowed. And what does that mean, if you don't mind me asking, as far as signage goes? Like, what is and isn't allowed? So, go ahead. So, yeah, so one of the pieces, so let's say there's a speaker on campus, okay? And, um, you know, the RSO and the sponsoring department, if it's open to the public, could determine that no signs are allowed in the actual event for that specific function. Um, now, outside, there's not regulating signs. Mm -hmm. So, outside of buildings. But inside, in a specific space, uh, signs or bags could be prohibited based on, like, there have been some events in the past where we've worked directly with the RSO, and based on their requests, they're not allowing costumes, they're not allowing signs, they're not allowing backpacks, things like that. So, yeah. And, and so that is a key distinction, you know, the inside and there, and, and we have the ability to sort of um, restrict some of those expressions. You know, the, the question, and I know you've had this covered in depth on one of your prior podcasts, but the things that we really look to try to um, impact as a police department are things like time, place, and manner. And so the, the law allows us to do that and to, to create certain restrictions around time, place, and manner uh, in accordance with that. So, uh, so that's why we really like to try to spend some time ahead of time uh, you know, to, to help shape uh, all of those things. Um, and so the, the one last thing I think that, that is on the list, you know, excessive noise, dis disrupting somebody else's right to, um, to their uh, you know, uh, free speech uh, is also unlawful. Uh, and amplification and some of those other things have some restrictions around them as well. Yeah. Amplified sound needs to have a permit for yes. amplified sound and application. Yes. Um, and, you know, it, it does get somewhat tricky, and we talked about this at the protest administrator review team. Um, there are portions of um, campus where UWPD has jurisdiction for amplified sound, and there are portions of campus that we do not um, which is uh, a state library street. mall. Four I was going to ask about yes. that. Yeah. yeah, how does that work when there are protests on library mall? Because that is city jurisdiction, the mall. Oh, let me tell you, it's more than that. It is a <laughs> it is a strange convergence of three different jurisdictions when it comes to uh, police agencies. So, uh, if you can imagine an extension of State Street. An imaginary continuance, State Street doesn't stop at Lake Street, it just keeps on going right through the center of Library Mall. That strip would be City of Madison. And that is an area where you see some of the um, 
uh, amplification occurring, and that, that is under city jurisdiction. On either side of that, you've got UW. So we have the rest, primarily the rest of that, that mall area, except when you get in front of the State Historical Society, which you know, is on the west side of the big fountain, mm -hmm. uh, that's Capitol Police Department. So three different jurisdictions uh, come to play there. And so we, we really do have to work to engage with the city primarily when we have large uh, gatherings and protests and demonstrations in Library Mall uh, and enlist their support so that if there is some, um, you know, um, either enforcement or um, restrictions that we, that, we, that we need, that they're helping us to, to, to do that. Yes, you're saying like after this, I'm gonna go get a coffee at Mocha, and I'm gonna walk across Library Mall to go to the Historical Society to do a reading. When I do that, I walk between three different police jurisdictions. Yeah. Yes, you do. Okay, that's yes. that's interesting to know. Yeah. On that note, too, are there any other pieces of clarity, or um, I guess maybe more so, are there pieces of misinformation that you hear students communicate about protest guidelines or what you can and can't do that's really important to clear up that might be a misconception? I think one of the pieces um, that, that I want students to know is that we are there to support you in your uh, First Amendment uh, rights. And, uh, and that is our goal. We want to make sure you are safe, that you're able to express um, your protected speech rights on our campus or near our campus. and. Um, you know, that we want to make sure that students are aware that's our role. Like, we want to support you and we want to help you facilitate as safe a protest as possible. I know our, like, one of my main concerns when we have large groups of individuals together is I'm always thinking about streets, I'm always thinking about cars, I'm always thinking about... That's our job. I know, I know, but, that, but as a dean, lane. I worry <laughs> about that, you know? <laughs> I worry about our student safety, yeah. so that's why we want to be proactive so we can block off streets, so we can make sure things are safe yeah. for our students to exercise their First Amendment rights. We'd much rather be able to, to plan ahead to do those things than try to react on the fly, although yeah. we are prepared to, to, to do both. Um, yeah. You know, I think to answer your question from a UWPD perspective, um, I think uh, we probably have to work harder to um, cultivate understanding with our students as to why we are there, um, because too often we're we're seen as adversaries or there to squash, uh, and it's really quite the opposite. Uh, this is one of those areas uh, that I know if you talk to officers and you include me in this. Um, there's just something about uh, the, the First Amendment and the Constitution and the role that police play in a democracy in supporting that that really kind of, like I said earlier, cuts to the core and, uh, of our oath and our commitment. And so we really want people to be successful in, in being able to do this. So we are there to support and to make sure that, that it can happen and, and that people do that safely. So I know oftentimes if a uniform shows up uh, at any sort of protest or demonstration or gathering, you know, there can be an immediate reaction from students or, or those who are gathered, fearing that there will be some uh, sort of punitive, 
intervention by police. Um, the only time we intervene swiftly is if there is some imminent safety concern that is a behavior we are seeing that is uh, that, that puts people at risk that we are expected then to, to act swiftly to, to, to make sure that that doesn't continue. But other than that, we, you know, we really are collaborative in our approach. And so um, there are times where protests, as I said, as we talked about, can cross into that unlawful um, territory. And so then we as a campus uh, uh, and as administrators um, come together, again, absent any physical threat of safety, we build in time to deliberate how are we going to now address this unlawful protest? And police don't act um, unilaterally on that, again, unless there's some immediate safety need that, that prompts us to do that. So a part of our approach is a protest decision-making team, and that is comprised of some of the admin, top administrators on campus. And we'll look at these situations if they cross over into unlawful, um, where there may be a need to start um, you know, taking steps to address that and in some cases make arrests for unlawful protest and in some cases then escort people away uh, because of that. And uh, there's a whole process that kicks in if we're gonna move in that direction and it isn't some stormtrooper approach where uh, you know, officers are coming in to shut things down. Mm. Yeah, that's good to know. I want to change gears a little bit and ask about UW's medical amnesty policies mm -hmm. yeah. um, for student, new students who maybe don't know about them yet or students who could use a refresher. Um, can you explain sure. a little bit about that policy and how it impacts students on campus? Yeah, I would love to. And actually, this is, um, you know, so it's amnesty through responsible action. And this was a collaboration and partnership between the University of Wisconsin Police Department the Dean of Students Office, the Office of Student Conduct Community Standards, the Associated Students of Madison, Housing and Residence Life, and um, a kind of work group formed to really look at the goal is to save lives. And, and this uh, policy or this approach, we truly feel saves lives of students. And so um, what amnesty through responsible action means is that let's say um, you are with an individual or you come upon an individual who is incapacitated due to alcohol or other drugs and you make the call to get them medical attention and support and you wait with them until medical attention arrives so that then you can share whatever information you have about what occurred um, then they're amnesty eligible and what that means is that, uh, well, and I'll let the police talk about the, the aspect from the policing side, and then I'll talk about the student conduct aspect side right. as well. So I'll insert here. So when uh, a student calls uh, on behalf of another student that's, that's in trouble and needs medical attention, our officers will respond. And uh, again, one of the requirements is that that caller stay there until we arrive and make contact and can get the, the, the student in need connected to, to the resources that they need. Sometimes that's medical transport, um, oftentimes that's what it is. And so then in those situations, um, even if the caller 
uh, and uh, or student is, uh, you know, has been uh, drinking and they are underage uh, or have any other associated fake IDs, those kinds of things that can sometimes prevent students from calling. Uh, we, we will issue a citation potentially, but we will hold it in abeyance. And so it will not go through the process. And we, at that point, we kind of lateral it over to Dean Olstead's folks uh, for what comes next. And as long as what comes next, which she'll describe here in a minute, is completed and, and, and there's follow through, then the, the citation goes away and it never, it never happened. Yeah, so I'll, I'll pick it up from there. So the conduct, the same piece. As long as they go through an educational process, it's almost like that conduct didn't happen. So, um, and what we found was that you know, our students are so bright. They are so talented. Many want to go on to grad school, to law school, to med school. And so it prevents them from making the call to potentially save the life of their peer because they don't want to get their peer in trouble or, or themselves in trouble. And we're saying if you've got each other's backs, we've got your back as long as you go through the educational process. Yeah, you do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. and that's what we and want. And badgers do the right thing. They do. Yeah, yeah. And that's what we and want. And badgers do the right thing. They do. Yeah. Yeah, and then another quick topic to hit on, we're obviously coming up on Halloween. What safety tips do you have for students with Halloween coming up? Mm. That, you know, that uh, some of what I said earlier um, in terms of making some, you know, uh, wise choices around alcohol consumption and around um, staying together in groups. And, and you know, uh, we talk a lot about badgers looking out for one another. Uh, and, and that includes um, taking some, you know, bystander interventions uh, when that's needed as well. So um, I think those are all community-based um, efforts that can help uh, keep, keep people safe. Uh, but then it does, like I said, come down to some of those individual choices. Mm -hmm. uh, and oftentimes when we're talking about large gatherings and parties like Mifflin Street Block Party or, or Halloween, that often involves choices around, uh, around alcohol, right? You know, one of the things that, um, you know, as I reflect back to my own time in college, um, my friends and I, and we're still close to this day, we made a plan before we went out for big nights like that. And um, we knew who was driving, we knew um, who, like who we were going with and who we were leaving with. Mm -hmm. And so we had a, a pre-plan. We made sure, uh, well, actually we didn't because we didn't have cell phones back then, but I want our students to have their cell phones fully charged before they go out. I want um, you know, students to come up with a plan. And one of the things we always say is if you're seeing something and your gut's telling you something's not right, it's not right. Your gut is telling you hey, something's not right here, and badgers do the right thing, badgers step up and they intervene, or they distract to help get some, uh, you know, get the individual away from a dangerous situation. So uh, there's many different things that, um, that students can do mm -hmm. as, uh, you know, Halloween approaches. And, you know, I, I just want students to know that, you know, Amnesty Through Responsible Action is there to save lives. The Badger Safe app is a great resource to download that 
to help get you connected with different resources and support and also safety app features and uh, and that we care deeply about the health and safety of our students so yeah. and I and I share that and and I will say that it is possible to make those plans uh, and to uh, make make those good choices and take care of one another and still have a lot of fun like, it doesn't have to be an either or. Well, my friends, we had a lot of fun. Yeah. And we had a plan. Like, yeah. I mean, we did. And, and some people are like, oh, that takes the fun out of it. But we had a plan when we went out. And, um, yeah, I, I encourage students to have that plan today. Yeah. It's a good, that's a good, good advice. Yeah. In all step. <laughs> I like it. And then finally, we always like to end on a fun question. And Halloween is a pretty big event around um, my house. My roommates and I sure. always like throw a nice big Halloween party. And oh, um, we're, we have all our decorations sitting out right now in sure. um, like our living room. doesn't look the cleanest, but we're really excited to get them up. But what I want to ask both of you is, do you have a costume at all that you plan on going for uh, or going as for Halloween? Or if you can't wear a costume this year, do you have a costume you would wear? If you were able to, I can, I can go oh, first. Come on, let me go first. Oh yeah, I'm gonna let the chief. Because I think I think I'm yeah. I'm intrigued by what you're gonna say. Mine's mine's pretty obvious, which is I can't tell you how many times when we're walking around in uniform on Halloween, how often we hear, "Are you ready for it? <laughs> nice costume!" Ha ha ha. So listeners, <laughs> that one's old. That's tired. We've done it. We've heard it. And, you know, uh, I, I chuckle every time, though. I know Because I'm do. out walking with the chief, and I'm like, eh. Yes. You know, uh, Christina and I, we go out uh, and make ourselves visible on, on Halloween. And she has yet to wear a costume. Uh, and so that's why I get all the attention, because I'm walking around in my uniform, and people are like, oh, yeah, nice costume. Uh, and so, no, I don't get to wear a, uh, a costume on Halloween when we're out and about. Um Alright. I'll have to come back to me on if I could what would I wear? I'm going to hear what So Halloween's very big in my house. Uh In fact so my wife went to art school and she has created a full pirate ship in the front yard with One-Eyed Willie and his treasure and we have a Goonies theme for our um, Halloween party this year. And so my costume. They're all too young to know about the Goonies aren't they? No. no, no, I okay. hope not. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, hope okay. not. <laughs> I don't think so. Culturally irrelevant so. <laughs> chief talking over here. All right, go ahead. So if you haven't seen Goonies, it's a great movie. <laughs> Check it out. It's from the 80s. Um, and I'm going to go as the big brother who then gets... Uh, so basically, it's a sweatpant outfit with shorts over the sweatpants. And a headband, which I've already got all that stuff. So my trick is I usually pick costumes that I already have all the things. And typically, I go as a lumberjack because that's really easy. You just need a flannel shirt and a stocking cap. Your first, and an axe, your but first, don't leave the axe at home. Please don't bring an axe. Don't bring the axe. <laughs> you're, you're, okay. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what are you doing? The, the, the first one seemed very complicated. I like the lumberjack that simple. And so I immediately I know, of course, you guys have seen those inflatable T-Rex Oh yeah, those oh, are yeah. costumes. Hilarious. Yeah. Something about those things. I've seen a lot of reels and videos with like yeah. T Rex doing crazy yeah. things, running around and falling and all that. Sure. It cracks me up. 
I think I would. I think if I could wear a costume, it would be an inflated T-Rex. You might see me as a lumberjack, sans <laughs> the uh, axe. I could actually wear my feet. uniform inside the inflated T-Rex. <laughs> Question is, can you find a uniform to put on the outside? Of and the then put a little badge on it. But then, if, yeah, no, that that'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Here we go. What are you going? For? Um, I haven't. So I usually will do like two costumes since, uh, like one for Friday and one for Saturday. Um, I haven't thought about what I want to do for an individual costume yet, and I probably will throw together something. Do you do um, group costumes? Yeah. So no, a lot of people like I think a lot of students it. will do like two different costumes on two different nights, or okay. some some people who are more dedicated than I am okay. will go the full Thursday, Friday, Saturday that with is, three different. I'm costumes, anticipating but... seeing a lot of Barbies and Kens. Yeah, that's a, of course. That's yeah. you know, like the year that there was more cowbell. Uh, there's, yeah. a, there's yeah. always one theme that seems to dominate. I love it. I I always I I see. One of my favorite nights to be out uh, and working is because I'm always just so um, tickled by the the thought that goes into so many of these costumes and it, it's clever oh, it's and so I just fun. I love it. Our I students it. are the best. They're very creative. I also want to see some Taylor Swift and um, the football player Kelsey. I think that would be a fun outfit. I want to see more mustaches on campus. <laughs> I think he's I, got a pretty prominent mustache, so we'll see. I've heard that Taylor Swift has suggested that she wants to go as Barbie and Ken with Travis oh, Kelsey. I, I don't know if that's it. true or not, but I think you're right. We're going to see so many tons Barbies of Barbies and Kens. And Kens. You're right. That's what I'm you're anticipating right. um, because anybody can be Barbie and anybody can be Ken. So it's going to be awesome. Now you're now you're just taking us down a whole other profound path. <laughs> We're all Barbies and Kens. That's that right. Saying? That's no. right. Anyway. So there you go. All Well, thanks so much, um, both of you, for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate you guys providing some information for students. And again, thanks so much for speaking with us. Well, thank you for having us. This was fun. Yeah. I appreciate this it. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Tyler. Yeah.